0: Welcome to church. In just a few minutes, Pastor Doug will be sharing the final message in our Afterlife series entitled, Afterlife, Is It Worth It?, where he summarizes what we've learned so far and looks at the eternal rewards that await us in heaven. If you're new here, we'd love to connect. You can message us on Facebook, Instagram, or by simply texting hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll respond right back. I'm so glad you could join us today. Reality that we all have to face. 150,000 people die every single day. Where do they go? Are their souls somewhere else or are they just gone? So, I'm Pastor Doug, and we're we're wrapping up our series entitled Afterlife. And if you missed any of the previous episodes, so to speak, you can catch them on our YouTube page or our Facebook page or, or on our website. And this has been an, a great series for maybe those who aren't Christ followers who have questions about life after death. They're not sure, maybe they've heard of people or they've seen a movie about people who've had near death experiences and they're like, Well, what's that all about? or they have questions about heaven or hell. Um, it's been a really good series to answer some of those questions. We've looked at Is there evidence for the afterlife? We've looked at what happens to me when I die. What is heaven like? Who's going to be there? Is it real? Is hell real? Sorry. And even though we've determined over this series that uh, near-death experiences in and of themselves, they can't be taken as absolutely conclusive evidence for the afterlife, but millions have experienced them, And they've experienced these dramatic, life-changing events. And even Psychology Today, the the magazine, states that the near-death experience is often considered to be the most persuasive bit of evidence for the continuation of life after physical death. And those who have had a near-death experience, they say that it's nothing at all It's nothing at all like a dream or a memory, they all agree. It is instead the most sensory experience they have ever encountered. And the profound impact of the experiences on these individuals cannot be denied. So while the Word of God is our final authority on the subject... These people that have experienced these near-death experiences have had, they've had profound impacts on these people. So this morning, we conclude our series, and we're going to look at the rewards that wait for us after death. And the title of my message is After Life, Is It Worth It? Is It Worth It? So after all is said and done, after life on this um, earth is, is over. Will we be held accountable? Will we be judged for what we did or didn't do? Is there punishment? Will there be rewards? And some people, to be honest, think of heaven as this ultimate socialist utopia, where we're all wearing the same white clothes, we're all playing the same uh, brand of harp, we're all living in the same commune, We're all, we all have the same size TV, and we all drive the same year and model of Starship. And to me, that sounds just awful. By the way, if you think heaven is going to be boring, you've obviously never sat down and thought about time travel, going to any moment in history to relive it, or exploring the highest mountains or the deepest oceans without pain or fear of death, or traveling at the speed of light or going through a wormhole or a stargate to distant galaxies and exploring other planets, or working at the most perfect dream job that you can imagine that uses your gifts and talents and abilities and your interests and thrills your soul, or listening to the most amazing out-of-this-world music or creating art that's based on millions of colors that are beyond our earthly spectrum. And most importantly, experiencing a sense of peace and calm and rest and joy and love that you've never experienced in this life. I don't know about you, but that does not sound boring to me. So, does our life on this temporal plane, what we do, what we say, how we treat others, the decisions we make, accepting or rejecting God's plan for us, does it really affect our future for eternity? Is it worth it? So, Four years ago, my wife and I were finally able to go on a much-anticipated honeymoon after 30 years of marriage. You see, our original honeymoon was spent filling in immigration paperwork for myself in such glamorous locations as Spokane, Washington, Missoula, Montana, and Plummer, Idaho. However... In 2017, with my wife's parents living in Florida and my oldest daughter working for Disney in Orlando, and I had just been laid off and I was given weeks of back holiday pay all at once. And this incredible opportunity opened up for us to spend several days and nights, a real-life honeymoon in St. Augustine. Florida's oldest city. And this wonderful location is a former pirate town on the coast, full of adventure and breathtaking history and gorgeous scenery and delightful museums and Spanish forts and haunted hotels and so much more. And one of the sites we visited was where Spanish explorer Ponce de Leon. Uh, allegedly discovered the magical spring of water known as the fountain of youth. You see, after being badly injured in battle, he took several ships and put great effort into discovering the source that could grant him eternal youth, that could grant him eternal life. Truly, it would be the greatest reward possible. Truly, it would be worth it. ...for all of the work and effort he was putting in. So, there we were. We were at the fountain of youth. We even have a picture. And I know some of you are skeptical and thinking... ...how did you know it was legitimate, not just a tourist trap? Well, because there was a sign. (laughs) Not Not a sign from heaven, you know, but a written sign... ...and it was carved in stone... And they had plastic disposable cups for us to drink from the fountain. And everything, it must have been legit. So what a golden opportunity. It would be worth it. I took a huge drink and let the youth flow through my body. (laughs) My wife, on the other hand, took her cup like this and she took a small sip And then she decided it tasted gross, and she poured it out on the ground. Can you believe it? What a waste. I'm actually 84 years old in this picture, but I don't look a day over 53 because I drank of my reward. It was so worth it. Okay, my wife, on the other hand, has always looked eternally young, so how can I complain? While Ponce de Leon dedicated much time and resources and put great effort in trying to find eternal life in a spring of water, was it worth it? No, because he eventually was shot and killed by a poison arrow. So, fast forward to the end of our lives as we're looking back But more importantly, as we're looking forward to eternity, is it worth it? As Pastor Bev mentioned last week, which I thought was a really, really great insight. He said, every human was created in God's image and is therefore an eternal being. However, we're living in a temporary shell, in a temporary world, making some decisions that are temporary, But ultimately, ultimately, we are given choices and we make decisions that have eternal implications that we will eventually be accountable for. How huge is that? Our decisions and choices in this temporary world will have eternal consequences. 2 Corinthians 5 says... For we know that when this earthly tent that we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing." For we will put on heavenly bodies, and we will not be spirits without bodies. And then he goes on in verse 10 to say, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil that we have done in this earthly body. The King James says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And as we conclude our series, we want to look at what these eternal implications are, what these heavenly rewards look like. It's fascinating that one of the most common aspects of near-death experiences is an event that is a life review of some kind. Even among those from non-Western, non-Christian faiths, A huge study of near-death experiences among people from the Hindu faith did not report experiences related to reincarnation, as you might think, but rather consistently featured a white-robed man who had a book of accounts for their lives. These life reviews in the presence of God during near-death experiences consistently have the greatest and very sobering effect on those who have experienced them. So let's see what the Bible has to say about final rewards. Let's see if it's worth it. And at the end of time, there appear to be Two judgments, one for believers and one for non-believers. This, however, is open to some interpretation as it may be two different aspects to the same uh, judgment time. But Revelation 20 says, And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books, notice that it's plural, and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and the death and, and death in and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It's interesting, while there is more than one book or record, the book of life is clearly, clearly the ultimate record. The final authority as to whether you go up or whether you go down. And as my daughter Brittany says, at the end of your life, when you step into the elevator, make sure you press the up button and not the down button. So this passage clearly shows several things. Number one, it shows God Almighty sitting on his throne, <clears throat> and it's such an holy and awe-filled sight that even nature can't bear to stand before God. Number 2. Everyone, no matter how important they may think they are in this world, every person great or small will stand before God. And I don't know about you, but this is com- this is very comforting to me because we constantly see the rich The elite, the politicians, and others who seem to be untouchable and seem to get away with evil and corruption without any apparent consequences while the innocent suffer. They will have their time and they will be judged. Number three, all will be judged according to their deeds, meaning everyone's life will be reviewed and evaluated. Now, I want to make it clear that no one is saved by the works that they do. But our lives will certainly be evaluated on how we handle the gifts and the talents and the opportunities and the responsibilities we were given in this life. And, most importantly, how we loved God and how we cared for others. Number four, anyone not found in the book of life is thrown into the lake of fire or hell. And I won't touch on hell this morning, as Pastor Bev did an excellent job last week. Then in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The Amplified translation says, For we, believers, will be called to account and must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be repaid for what has been done in the body, whether good or bad. That is, each will be held responsible for their actions, their purposes, their goals, their motives and the use or misuse of their time, opportunity, and abilities. So wow, this is pretty serious stuff. Um, David Jeremiah says it this way, author David Jeremiah says, When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, our faithful service to him will be evaluated and rewarded." With perfect knowledge, he will assess our every thought, motive, and action. The prospect of the coming judgment should motivate us to be more like Christ in our daily life, running our spiritual race toward his heavenly rewards. And you know, while there is a very serious and sobering aspect to this event, and when we hear the term judgment seat of Christ, let's face it, we're usually all worried about having the sins we've committed in this life being shown on heaven's big screen. However, very little is mentioned about how this is also a great, exciting, anticipatory time where our rewards and awards will be handed out. Because the word judgment translated here is bima, the Greek word bima, which refers to a judge's elevated stand or seat at the ancient games like the Olympic judges. This was the place where the judges would award the gold or silver crowns. In a sense, this judgment, this picture of judgment that we see is a judgment of rewards. God God not only holds us responsible but he loves to reward every faithful act, every deed, even motives. And that's what will happen at the Bema Seat Judgment. Again, it's very important that we don't earn God's love or acceptance to get into heaven. That's a free gift that we can reject or we can receive. But scripture does seem to indicate that all of our deeds and what we do to love God and others will determine our rewards. So this is not only a time where God will wipe away our tears and regrets, it's going to be the most rewarding thing you've ever imagined. Isaiah looked forward to it saying, "'Look, your Savior is coming.' He is bringing your reward to you. So, what did Jesus have to say about heavenly rewards? So, number one, Jesus told us to make heavenly investments. He said, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves can break in and steal them. Instead, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy. And thieves do not break in and steal. Material wealth and treasures and rewards and awards here on earth, eventually they gather dust and they decay and they lose their value. Heavenly rewards, on the other hand, come with an, ex, with an eternal extended warranty. They last forever. Number two, Jesus says about our heavenly rewards, that they're according to what each of us has done. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. C.S. Lewis says, author C.S. Lewis says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this world were those who thought most Of the next world. So those who did most for this world were those who thought most about the next world. The third thing Jesus said is to watch our motivation. Watch our motivation. He says, Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. The next thing that Jesus says about rewards is that God rewards intimacy. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. The fifth thing Jesus said about rewards is that we are to endure persecution. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. finally, Jesus said that faithfulness is the key. Faithfulness is the key. Matthew 25 is the parable of the talents, where Jesus talks about the rewards of faithfulness and using wisely and responsibly the gifts and talents we've been given. The more faithful we've been, been, the greater our reward. Let's look at the five Crowns are the five rewards that will be given out in heaven. Number one is the victor's crown. In 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 9 Paul talks about running the race of life with intentionality, not letting all of life's distractions and, and the busyness throw us off course, not quitting, not giving up like a marathon runner or a triathlete, enduring to the end. Think about it this morning. Think about how we spend our time and our money and our talents. Serving God really involves narrowing our focus to those things that have the highest eternal value. Those who can exercise that discipline will receive the victor's crown. The second crown is the crown of rejoicing. This is also known as the soul winner's crown, and it's awarded to those who reach out beyond their comfort zone, those who reach out to others, those who lead others to Jesus Christ. The third crown is the crown of righteousness, and this crown is specifically designated for those who long for Jesus' appearing, and they live lives in t- in anticipation of his return. This is the crown that Paul wrote about when he uh, wrote, this is the cr- the crown that Paul referred to when he wrote about his own death and the crown that Jesus would give to him. The fourth crown is the crown of glory. This crown is given to faithful shepherds or leaders of God's people, those who have answered the call to Faithfully teach or faithfully lead or faithfully care and guide others. There are many, many in the church, including incredible volunteers who have laid down their lives for other people. Who have generously given of their time and their energy and their resources to serve and touch people. These are the kind of people who will receive this crown The fifth crown is the crown of life. In James 1 and Revelation 2, this is often referred to as the martyr's crown because it's given to those who suffered for their love for Jesus, those who died for Christ, those who were committed to finishing the race of faith regardless of the tremendous difficulties they may have encountered in this life. I'll close with this brief story and the worship team can go ahead and come on back up. In 1952, Florence Chadwick attempted to swim the 25-mile Catalina Channel off the coast of California. It was an incredibly foggy day and after many hours of enduring the wind and the cold waves, she gave up much to the dismay of her coach and her mother. As she was pulled into the boat, she was devastated when she realized how close to the shore she really was. Through tears, she said, if only I could have seen the shore, I would have made it it wasn't the cold or the exhaustion that prevented her from finishing. It was her inability to see the shore, to see her destination because of the fog. Two months later on a bright and sunny day, she attempted the grueling task again, this time finishing in record time. She told reporters that even though she was tired and tempted to quit, she was able to finish because she could see the shore, and that gave her enough strength to push on to the end. In our afterlife series, we have heard and seen incredible testimonies of a destination after this life, that is absolutely mind-blowing. Heaven is a place of overwhelming love and joy and peace and community and beauty and adventure beyond comprehension. Most importantly, we are face-to-face with the one who loved us so much that he gave his life for us. So how we live now does matter and it is worth it the decisions we make the responsibilities we take for all that god has entrusted us with loving god and loving and caring for others are eternal principles that determine our eternal rewards we need to keep our eye on the prize we need to keep our eye on the shore we need to finish the race strong because there is an afterlife and in the end it is worth it amen amen so this morning whether you're watching online or you're here in person if you've never made this choice before you can determine what happens to you when you die. I know it's pretty crazy that us in our limited lives, in this, in this earth that we live on, we can actually determine what happens to us for eternity. And I want to give those who have never made that choice, I want to give you the opportunity to make that choice that you have never made before the most important choice you'll ever make, an eternal choice. You might be saying, yeah, I'm ready to take that next step. So I want everyone here and everyone watching online to pray along with me, and I want you to repeat the words that I say as well. You don't have to yell them. You can just quietly say them. It's between you and God, but I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to repeat after me. God, this morning I choose to believe. You sent Jesus to die for me, for my sins and failures. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Come into my life. Give me a brand new start. Thank you for your gift of eternal life. Amen. Wow. What an incredible decision you may have made today. An eternal decision to have God on your side and to choose heaven. If you made that decision this morning or if you have any more questions about anything that I said or anything that we've covered in our series, you can text LIFE to the number on the screen. You can comment on social media right now, or or during the week, or you can talk with us in person after the service. Thanks for joining us. If you need anything, don't hesitate to contact us. You can find more information on our website, or on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. We'll see you again soon.